Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Invisible Not Broken. So this week I got to talk to one of my favorite people, Lauren Selfridge. She runs a health podcast called This Is Not What I Ordered. Um, she herself is dealing with MS and we've been back and forth on each other's episodes a few times and we thought we would just get together and kind of talk about what to do after diagnosis, how you stay um, inspired, how you start new things, how you keep going, and how to stay amazingly kind and gentle with yourself while you're adjusting to a new new reality, new normal. Um, and Lauren is also a therapist, so I don't think there's any better person to talk to than her about this. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. We had some technical difficulties, so it kind of starts a little um, in the middle of something, and I promise you, you didn't miss much. All you missed was us talking about how we were still in our pajamas, which is not nearly as fantastic as that might sound at first. So have fun. Listen, um, just a quick thank you to everyone who's been sharing episodes. We have been gaining like a thousand new followers every month. I'm humbled and amazed and welcome to all of you who are first time listeners. I know there's um, actually a few of you over in Africa and in Egypt and um, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to us and hey, reach out. We love finding out about what it's like to have chronic and invisible illnesses or um, throughout the world. We're all very curious and I would love to talk with you. If you wanted to sing very kind for the podcast, the nicest thing you can still do for us is to share us. We don't advertise. So it's really kind of you when you pass us along. And also going over to Apple Podcasts, still the best place to leave some nice words, some stars. And if you have any constructive criticism, please feel free to email me. Heading over to the website is always the best way to see everything. Um, the video of the interview, um, you can also go over to future guest and send me an email. I don't always have the energy to respond, but I promise you I do read it. Thanks so much, and I hope you enjoy the interview. ...who was working with me who told me that I should demand a brain and C-spine MRI. And that's when they found all the lesions. And so over time, they were finally able to diagnose me. Um, actually, I want to say this month, yeah, this month is the four-year anniversary of my actual diagnosis. Well, I, I mean, like, happy anniversary. <laughs> I feel like yeah, thank you. Cakes. And can we just have a minute for, like, stress being the um, new century's way of saying that women have hysteria? Like, or, you know, anyone who is, like, yeah. It just seems like they throw stress on as, like, the, the way that we used to be diagnosed with hysteria. Yeah, that is something that I keep hearing from guests on my show and also just people in general that I talk to that, Often it is, we are told that this is something that is not uh, physical and that we just need to manage our stress. Now, don't get me wrong, managing your stress is a great idea, but it's a little scary. (laughs) It's it's a little bit scary when I think about what would have happened if I just listened to that first neurologist and said, oh, I have a stress condition, I really need to get this under control and then went untreated for who knows how long before more symptoms started to pile up without treatment. It's just one of the most frustrating things I hear all the time is anyone who presents female that goes into a doctor's office, like the first thing is like, oh, you're just not handling life well. So, you know, meditate, do yoga, which there's nothing wrong with those things either, but it usually um, keeps us untreated. You know, anyone presenting looking female keeps I'm so sorry. I'm stumbling over words. And it's because I'm trying so hard to, to relearn new language and how to speak about gender in a new way. So uh, yeah. please forgive me as I'm being super clumsy and uh, keep correcting me as I get clumsier. But um, 
What I'm trying to say is anyone who just visually presents as female tends to get marginalized by doctors as like, hey, you just don't do life well, young lady. Just go back home and meditate, eat organic, and you'll be fine. And I feel like so many of us end up with like not getting treatment that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really a big problem because as, as you and I probably both have learned, and I think so many folks listening have learned, we really need to be our own advocates. And it's very confusing when someone who we're supposed to trust and kind of look up to, a doctor, tells us something about ourselves that just doesn't feel right. Um, we do need to keep pushing uh, in order to get those answers. So I was really excited to talk to you about this. We um, were diagnosed at very different times in our lives. And you had already like built this career before you knew you were sick. Yeah. Um, I, well, sort of. I had just started uh, my work as a psychotherapist about a month before all of this went down with my diagnosis. And so I knew something was going on, but I wasn't sure what it was. And the second month of sitting with clients, I found out that it was MS. So I kind of had this parallel journey between stepping into my life as a therapist and also as a person living with chronic incurable disease. And that's just amazing to me. I like I knew I was sick. I didn't know which disorder I had, but I've known I was sick since I was a kid. So everything I've done has been like colored by I probably will have to abandon this at some time and try to start something less physical. Right. So I had some time to plan and to think. I wish I had planned and thought even more because like when I had to leave my photography business, it was way quicker than we thought. It was about six months before we thought I'd have to retire. And like there's so much I wish I would have done as far as like getting my finances set up properly. Like <laughs> you would think with all this like yeah. future planning, I would have been like, well, I should have at least six months of income in the bank or something to that effect. What were some of the things that you wish you would have, like if you had had the foresight of knowing even before you went to college, is there anything you would have done differently? Anything you would have prepared for? Well, I want to bookmark what you just said about your kind of different iterations of your journey, because I, that's something that really touches me about your story. Actually, instead of bookmarking it, can we just talk about it a little bit more? Sure, uh, and I will please. answer your question. I'm not sidestepping your question. But I, do, my, I just I do. rolled out of bed, hashtag no filter face. And I, like, I brushed my hair. I'm like, I am caffeining it through. <laughs> well, there's something about, you know, because we talked about in, in the episode of This Is Not What I Ordered featuring you, we got to talk about the different hats that you've worn and the different types of passions you've been able to fulfill at different points in your journey because you knew that you that you didn't have unlimited time and so you seized each adventure that you could while you could, which I think is pretty amazing. That's really sweet and really true. Yes. I, I've always viewed everything as an adventure. Yeah, and and there's a sadness to it because there was this knowledge that I don't know how long I'll be able to dance. Like I remember you telling that story, how you got so into it, and knowing that you very likely wouldn't be able to continue to pursue it for your entire life. But you're like, that's all right, let's get going. I want to do this, and you're in your teens, right? You know, what I love about you is I can see what an amazing therapist you are because I am so good at hiding all of my like BS in snarky humor and you're like we're going to just Barbara Walters this and we're just gonna like brush all past your snark and oh my your gosh. sense of humor and go right to you making you start crying <laughs> you are good um 
You know, it's really funny because I think that it's it's the truest thing for all of us. Time passes. Like, there's no, you know, you could be the healthiest person in the world. Time will pass. Your body is programmed to eventually deteriorate. And for people who are chronically ill, we get to watch that process on speed. So mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, the, the people that we, like, are like um, the easiest to chat with about our chronic illnesses are usually over 80, you know, like they, they get us. And um, I think that that's either a gift or a very cruel thing is that we get to watch that process really, really fast. So we know the transience of it viscerally, although everyone else is experiencing it too. They just are experiencing it so much slower that they, they don't see that there's an end point. Like I watched this show called Adam Ruins Everything, which is like a weird addiction, but my daughter and I are obsessed <laughs> and we were just watching Adam Ruins Death. And it's probably one of the most beautiful episodes on TV I've Aww. ever seen. It's, it just starts with like, you need to understand that this is finite. And once you accept that and stare into the void, you make friends with the void, <laughs> stop running from the void, then you can make real decisions about your life. And it's so, you know, of course, I'm watching this with my 11 year old. He's like just soaking this in, nodding. And I'm just sitting here next to her with like eyes this big going, it's a very good point. I have forgotten. I need to rethink everything. But it's true. Like, you know, everything is saying goodbye to something. Every new opportunity is saying goodbye to something else. Every new health issue is saying goodbye to something else. Raising kids for crying out loud is like you're saying goodbye to newborn to get toddler. You say goodbye to toddler to get child. I just Mm -hmm. had teenager move out into the adult world, which is horrifying at this moment. But it's very true. Like You're always saying goodbye to something in some way or another. Even with being healthy, you're always moving past yourself. Yeah, it's so true. And... Impermanence is a teaching that is a little bit brutal because the truth is that we will eventually be separated from everything we love. And like you said, is it cruel or is it a gift? And I think it's both because, yes, it's very painful to know that we will keep everything that we love. But it's also an incredible, beautiful awareness to keep with us. And um, I've studied mindfulness and um, Vipassana meditation a little bit. And I remember hearing that one of the Buddha's recommendations is to contemplate death every day, not to do it all day, every day, but to keep it in our awareness and to take a few moments each day to really recall that knowledge and say, right, I've only got some time here, not forever. And that, I I think, has enriched my life in a big way. But then getting MS, even though it's not a disease that is supposed to impact my life expectancy, it is one that regularly reminds me that my body is not a machine, that it is not uh, reliable in the way that I would, would want it to be in my dreams, but that, you know, I need to use what energy and time and physicality that I have access to while I have it because I don't know how long I have it. You know, (laughs) yeah. I like, so one of the things I wish I had done so much earlier is to admit to frailty. And that's always been like my big, I don't ask for help. I don't cry in public. All of my BS right there is like, all based around like <laughs> be the gazelle that isn't hurt <laughs> like just keep jumping there are lions stop stopping looking sick is bad and dangerous so I pushed so hard and so fast that 
I think I did a lot more harm to my body. And I think I would have gotten a lot more enjoyment out of my life if I had just admitted to frailty when it was getting too painful to walk. So instead of forcing yeah. myself to walk and move um, because of so many reasons, uh, for professional reasons, for embarrassment, sheer embarrassment. And then I hate to admit it, but I also don't like to gain weight. And so it was yeah. like, I wanted to be able to move as much as possible. And if I had admitted that I was in pain and gotten the right help, I would have been able to see a lot more. I would have, in my travels, I would have been able to move further with less crying. Like there's, yeah. I wish I had done that earlier and sooner and um, come out of the spoonie closet. And this is just speaking for me. I, you know, I, everyone's journey is their own and you have your own personal reasons for doing what you do. But for me personally, coming out of the spoonie closet earlier would have been so much more helpful. Absolutely. I think so. And I think that there's a cultural understanding of what it means to be strong, right? There's a, this mm. physicality to it. There's this impenetrability and fierceness but one of the things I learned through actually a conversation with Maria Vogel on one of the episodes of my podcast called Fierceness and Surrender, what I learned was, and I heard it come out of my mouth and I heard it come out of her mouth and it was totally unplanned, but essentially we were both agreeing that the true fierceness comes from being able to surrender in a way that it relinquishes what we wish was happening so that we can empower ourselves to be truly present with what true what actually is happening and it's not something that I kind of I love how you often remind people that they get to choose to live their lives the way that they want to and I totally agree with that so this is not me saying just surrender <laughs> you know but some of the hardest days for me have been ones where I wanted to be out in the world doing more things but my body wasn't up for it and there's a whole internal process that goes on on those days where I have to give myself a loving pep talk, which says, it's okay that you aren't out in the world. It makes sense that you feel sad. It makes sense that you're angry and frustrated. And you are still worthy lying on your couch just as much as if you were giving a speech somewhere in front of a million people. You're just as amazing at home as you are out in the world. It's just that the there isn't a cultural story that reflects that just yet. So that's kind of up to us to create it, you know, but the idea that you are, like you said, frailty, which is an interesting word because it's like, okay, yes, it refers to physicality, but it's also something that um, has a lot of negativity associated with it. Right. And to me, what I love is that you are like one of the most powerful women I know and you're saying, I wish, you're laughing. I'm dying. You're I'm laughing. like, it's I really true. should be paying you whenever we like do an interview. This is like our third <laughs> interview, like discussion. Like I'm really using her as therapy right now. I really should write you a check at the end <laughs> <laughs> Well, basically what I want to just say is that you are somebody who I admire and appreciate for your fierceness. And you do like one of the cool things about you is, Yes, you manage severe, intense physical things that happen throughout your day. And you have so much that you express of yourself in the world. And none of it's happening the way that you would have planned it, right? <laughs> it's like you're just riding the waves, and that's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, it's so funny. Like, I. 
I feel like I fought against the idea that I am inspiring for so long for so many different reasons. And most of it's because I feel like it's very like duck where you don't see the paddling under the water. <laughs> like you just see yeah. that. And I don't want people to ever look at, at my example and go, well, why am I not like this? Why, you know, why exactly. can't I do this? And I used to feel that way strongly when I was a mom who was a business owner and I would see these new moms come in for their photos being like, I could, I don't, I can't. And I don't, and I'm like, no, 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 you don't see what's going on under the water. Like, trust me, I have temper tantrums. I freak out. I am not perfect or inspiring. I am showing a <laughs> certain aspect. You can see this little facet exactly. right here that I can keep in a little bento box, clean and pretty right here. <laughs> You're not seeing all of the rest of the BS that's going on behind the little pretty bento box. Like, so I always get a little well, nervous when yeah. someone's like, "You're inspiring." I'm like, "Okay, but <laughs> you know, you don't." My husband sees a whole different side than anyone else in the world sees, which is the two o'clock in the morning. Like, <laughs> two o'clock in the morning, and yeah. then also I'm remembering the story. One of the stories uh, that you shared with me of of lying on the floor. Yeah, and just there was nowhere you could go. You needed to just be on the floor. Yeah, that happened and, uh, actually two nights ago. I, I was in uh, Olivia came running in. She's like, "Mom," and she's learning how to like not freak immediately. She's like, "Okay, is this heart or did your legs give up? Legs? Okay, we're good. We're good. I'll get the wheelchair. Just hang on." <laughs> and so yeah. I think you can kind of see in the background my new pretty chair. Yay! Thing. I get to see it. It's my it's my little Tesla <laughs> of. Uh, so excited for you! You were, it was almost like you're doing a, a social media countdown. You're like, "It's coming! It's almost here!" So I actually. Was getting emails from the company will that makes and they're like okay so we aren't able to call this a wheelchair so when you're doing this great social media blast we can't like or we retweet it because the fda won't let them call this a wheelchair i'm like great i will that's okay right they're like yes you can go for it but we can't so i'm like doing their social media campaign that's like, awesome this is if you can afford this if this is in your budget and this was in my budget thanks to my parents um Again, like things I wish I would have known if I had had this wheelchair back when I was a photographer, I could have kept my business going for another five years. And that would have been wow. a tremendous amount of income that could have set my family up very well. Um, it would have been totally worth the outlay to be able to work for another five years. The technology wasn't there five years ago. This is this was like a Kickstarter campaign that that created this chair. Um, but if I had known and I had been able to budget it, I could have extended my work life significantly, or I could have switched over to teaching. You know, if I had had this, I could have gotten to classes and, you know, finished my credential. Like there's, this would have offered me a lot more options. Now I'm kind of stuck with where my body's at now. And that's at a place where I, I'm trying to recondition it. But if I had known, I would have definitely gotten a chair earlier, been able to extend things better. And like... God, if I had known like how bad this was going to get, I would have started weightlifting. Like if you're Ehlers-Danlos mm. right now and you've just been diagnosed and you're like still in a space where you can walk or move without dislocating daily, talk to your doctor. Please talk to your doctor. I'm not a doctor, but I wish I had gone on like a massive Pilates kick with like mm. weightlifting because that would have done so much to to build in the muscle structure to hold everything together. And hey, like even if you have like MS or you have anything else, if you're still functioning, like working on your core will absolutely help if you end up bedridden. Like it's, um, yeah, mm. I just discovered like Pilates story, Joseph Pilates, and he had been injured in the war. And that's how he started Pilates was being in bed. 
and wow. still wanting to con- keep his body condition. So he created this pulley system. And I'm like, how do I set that up? <laughs> that, that sounds yeah. like a good plan. Like when I'm stuck in bed, so I try to do Pilates even when I'm in bed. But like if you're building your, you're like stuck in bed right now, if you just do like core exercises and like ankle exercises so that you're able to, when you can start trying to stand and walk, you won't. Yeah. 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 So hmm. like the best one I found was like my my physical therapist who I'm going to give a little plug to because I love her, Corey at Go Beyond Physical Therapy. If you're in the Bay Area, my God, she's amazing. But she had me when I was um, doing so badly that I couldn't even do bracing because my rib kept popping out which has been constant now, so it's permanently dislocated. Yay. Um, mm. I, she had me blowing a balloon up, and that works your core. <laughs> if you have ever tried to blow up balloons for a kid's birthday party, you will know, and you'll remember, oh, my God, yes. It felt like I did a thousand crunches. So that's what she has me doing even when I'm stuck in bed, and I'm like, that's that's a good one. So talk to physical therapists. But, like, if I had known how much bedtime I would have, had I would have started Pilates and all that stuff ages ago to like strengthen core. Yeah, that's my my tip for the uh, <laughs> the possible bed bound. I think that's great to know. Yeah, especially the balloon thing. That's uh, pretty awesome. I never thought of that. Although when you describe it, I have to tell you, I started like my body started <laughs> pretending like it was blowing up a balloon. I <laughs> was like, yeah, like it's my belly like activate. <laughs> The muscles. <laughs> it's super cool. I'm like, this is awesome. Because, like, there's the last, um, like, if anyone's been reading my blog, the last three weeks have been brutal with a capital B. And um, I haven't been able to do any regular exercise. So just, like, these little things have been significantly helping me. Because if I had been in bed not doing any of them for, like, the last two weeks, I wouldn't be able to sit up right now and talk to you. I'd be like, Ugh. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my that's my tip along with uh, make sure you have six months of savings set aside if it is economically possible. Now, I understand I'm in a point of privilege and I was able to even set aside some savings because the thing that people don't realize is they're like, oh, well, I'll, I'll file for, for disability. I'm almost to disability. I will warn everyone right now. It is six months to two years of no ability to have income. You cannot have your own income coming in. So if you do not have a partner who has a good paycheck, you need to make sure you have another plan to survive those months and years possibly because while legally you are allowed to work to a certain level, it can work against you in some ways. So like, like don't take my word for it. Talk to a disability attorney, but I will just say I wish I had known and I would have had money put aside to handle those six months, but... I was one of the lucky ones. We were, I was approved immediately and immediately met six months. Mm. Oh my gosh. It's such a game trying to get in there. Like I remember once, um, dealing with something with a limit, a limited, I did like a short term disability claim and I found out I had to be out of work for 15 days, but I had been out of work for 14 days and then came back for one day and then was out for several more weeks. And because of that one day, I couldn't claim, like, it was just, it, it felt like a weird game that, it, you know, like, aha, we gotcha. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. It was so confusing. I gave up. Yeah, I mean, this is all, like, as everyone in the international audience is listening, going, what do you mean with disability? When you get sick, doesn't your government take care of you? In the wonderful countries that understand socialized help and safety net, um, I feel like this country, at least in the last 20 to 30 years, has been like, oh, you're down? 
we're just going to step on you. Is that okay? We're just going to step on you a little bit more. We're going to make this really hard for you to get help. It's harder to get up again, I feel like, in the last, like, you know, as the more austerity stuff comes through. It's, uh, it's a lot harder to get back up on your feet. And there's so much moral judgment on people taking help, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is, like, this mythos of the super strong cowboy type just like moseying off into the sunset with like bullet wounds and bandages and like still tough. And there, there's a real systematic problem with this idea we have of the loner, the bootstrapper, or the person who's able to overcome all odds. It creates this mythology for mm. everyone else that might not be able to stand up to that and doesn't feel as brave if they're not able to be that level of like badass. Right. Maybe just a different type of badass. You know, we need more visual representations of different types of badass. I feel like the media needs to step it up with like who and what equals a badass. Yes. I I totally agree with that. And like, I Um, really love black Panther for having like the teenager, the teenage girl who is not necessarily a, physical like super fighter but her brain was like this insanely cool thing and she was creating all these great gadgets that were saving the day and her she had this amazing quick fast intelligence I'm like that's also badass like this is a good like this is a good action hero is someone who's also doing some really cool stuff on you know over here but doesn't you know it could have been replaced by a character who's in a wheelchair could have been doing that as well and it's like this is really a cool visual for kids who maybe don't have that same physicality or ability. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to talk about how to be inspired after diagnosis. Like how do you pick everything back up? Because you decided to start a podcast after your diagnosis. Right. And to be fair, I didn't do that until at least, I didn't even think of doing it until at least two years after my diagnosis. Not that you have to wait. No. But I remember I went through a period of needing to give myself some time and space to step into what I wanted my identity to be before I even shared with clients that I had multiple sclerosis. Um, I did share, you know, when I needed to, um, it, when it was appropriate, I did share that I had a chronic illness, but I didn't specify what it was until I was ready. And that was actually really important for me to have a little bit of cocoon time before I spread my butterfly wings because I knew I wanted it to be mine and I didn't want to give away more than felt right for me. Um, and I had the privilege of being able to hide it to some extent. And and so I gave myself that time to build an identity, which for me, I wanted it to be a really positive approach and not, not positive uh, and Uh, at the expense of feeling the difficult feelings because for sure I did and I still do but I wanted to own it as as just mine and so what wound up happening is that I realized that I was getting a lot spiritually out of this journey with my body and that I was fascinated with the depth of insight that can come from surrender and from tapping into the wisdom of the body and of, of the spirit as we move through having an imperfect body, having a, an unreliable body. And I kept talking to people who were having similar experiences and thinking like, wow, you know, it seems like a lot of, it's not just, it's not just a few people that are experiencing this. I think it would be really neat to have a show where I get to talk to a new person each week 
about what their wisdom and insights are from their experience, but also talk about what it means to live a fulfilling life. Because that definition can really be impacted when you have a health challenge of any type. We, you know, we often talk about the certain vision of a future um, and what it means to have a good life. And then when we, we have to deal with the, the body challenges, suddenly fulfillment can take on a different meaning. And for me, I've learned that thinking about my future has a lot less to do with external circumstances or even physical circumstances. And now it has much more to do with my internal world and how I hope my life develops and my resilience develops and my sort of like team spirit with myself evolves because I don't know what will, what the future will bring. And so when I talk to people, I ask them what fulfillment means to them and I get some of the most beautiful answers. It's pretty cool. So that's a long way of saying, yes, having a podcast is one way. <laughs> I like your long way around. And, and you bring up something that's so important, um, especially if like you're it's sort of like in a space where you're like starting to feel comfortable or you're starting to feel like I am actually where I want to be. And then chronic illness strikes. Like I've known for a long time, I was going to get very, very sick, but at the point where it hit and it hit harder than I was expecting, there's no way to expect Eller Stainless to present the way it's presenting for me. Like it's very unusual to have daily mass dislocations. And that's with an S like I have three to five major dislocations a day and mm. no one would have been able to explain that to me or predict it properly. So when you're talking about like taking that time to deconstruct yourself, you know, like the idea of like turning into mush in a cocoon is visceral. I, I think everyone, yeah. at least like, I can't imagine the person who doesn't turn to mush in the face of your life is going to change in ways you'll never understand. And it's going to mean a completely new identity for you. And it's not an identity that society is necessarily going to embrace and that people around you might not judge you kindly if they just visualize what's going on with you and it will isolate you. And um, I don't know who doesn't turn to mush in that. Like I didn't because I have an issue with the void. I have an issue <laughs> with the stop and reflect if anyone's heard me talk. I am not tuned up to like 1.5 on your podcast. This is not you speeding through your podcast. I swear I talk this fast. <laughs> but the space in between scares me so bad. And when I had to stop being a photographer where I really felt like I was pretty close to the top of my game and like switch around, I didn't take that reflection. I didn't take that time to reflect and decide what's next. I just jumped to something, anything. Mm -hmm. And that was problematic. Because I didn't mm -hmm. go through a grieving process when I should have. <laughs> and it eventually caught up with me in a big, ugly way. So I love the idea. If you are financially capable of taking the, a break, a breath, a time to like deconstruct, if you're not trying to figure out some way to be able to deconstruct while you bring in money, I mean, I, I get that though. that's not always possible for people. But it would have made things easier for me if I had taken that time than just jumping. Mm. Yeah, and everybody needs it in different ways. Like I, one of the episodes, I just keep drawing on episodes because I've had these great <laughs> conversations with people, but there's one with Emily Garnett from uh, Beyond the Pink Ribbon who talks about how she has set aside 20 minutes at the end of each day to feel. 
And she she keeps it to that amount of time. She takes a shower, a hot shower, and lets herself cry and goes to bed afterwards. And it's what allows her to get through the day because she's living with stage four metastatic bone cancer. Um, And, you know, it's, I'm sorry, I said metastatic. What I meant was metastatic breast cancer. Um, But she um, really helped me understand one of the many ways that people can set aside time and space for grieving. Because for some people, it's like, I need to take a weekend to just feel my feelings and give myself permission to curl up in a ball on the floor or stare at the clouds or be under the covers and let myself feel. And and as a therapist, I always tell people, like, you don't have to feel 24-7 for, <laughs> you know, a, like a month or a year in order to grieve or have your experience. Because the spirit has a pretty good way of titrating. And titrating is, is how we move in and out of something so we can find balance. So for 20 minutes, maybe you cry. And then maybe for an hour, you watch Netflix. And then you go out with friends or you stay home and you write or you zone out. And you, like you said, you, you start a new project. You don't have to be feeling all the time in order to, to grieve. And the thing about feelings is they, they wait for us. They're oh, waiting they really for do. when we're ready. <laughs> <laughs> and that could either be a good thing where the feelings are just waiting for you to process them or like I always had the unhealthy view of like them just like waiting behind a corner somewhere, just like cackling maniacally for like the guard to come down. I found like for someone who does not process feelings well, I am not good at that well. Um, the sad movies are a good way for me to release all of my Perfect. emotions. Like I will watch PS I Love You on loop sometimes just to like yeah. get all the crying out. <laughs> Oh, that movie is, oh my goodness, bring a bucket for your tears. I mean, <laughs> yes, quite... and a lot of beautiful eye candy as well, so it's like everything you need in one movie. <laughs> I, my husband has barred me from going to Ireland by myself. I, <laughs> there's something about that accent that just, yeah, knee melting. You know, feel, watching your watch, feeling your feelings and watching a movie is so awesome because you don't necessarily have to be you know, in your own story in order to let out emotion and your body needs to release those tears and to cry and your body needs to experience the waves of emotion because it's a way of processing it out. It's like each emotion has its own life and you're letting it live itself through you. And when you cry, you're letting it release. That is so beautiful. You are so good. Oh, thanks. I love that. I mean, I always like love the idea of like, that there's, there's emotions out there. Like there's love, there's hate, there's, there's all of this out there. And when we tap into it, how, how we tap into it is whether it's good or bad. Like if you tap into love and that goes freely, that's beautiful. If you have like some sort of weird stopgap, it becomes fetid and rotted and becomes like obsession or like icky stuff. Like it's icky stuff. I swear I, my kids are no longer toddlers. I don't know why I just said it that way, but like, <laughs> the idea is like if it, if you don't feel whatever is going on and allow it to come out in a healthy way, it just sort of gets kind of rotted and icky. Icky. There we go. Great. My son has been calling me out lately on the words I use a million times, like lovely, darling, <laughs> cute. He's like, seriously, if I hear any of those three words again, I, I just can't with you. <laughs> so I guess icky is now on the table for removal. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. That's so, 
I feel so edited lately. I'm like, I am not saying the right things for anything lately. <laughs> I have not been right in so long. It is getting Oh, well, you're getting a lot of reflection from the people in your life. Well, specifically your son. <laughs> I have a teenager. Yes, well, he, he just moved out. But when he was living here, it was like, there was no possibility of me being right. So I find it really funny when I'm on Twitter and like someone tries to come at me on Twitter and I'm like, Oh, that's cute. You think that's going to upset? No, I have a teenager who doesn't agree with me most of the time. Like, <laughs> I'm good. We can disagree. That's good. We can actually have a dialogue love, Like, try me. <laughs> like, sure. Let's, really, the worst you have is I'm a bookworm. Oh, that's, that's so cute. That's so funny. Oh, it's, it's entertaining. Yes. <laughs> but as far as, you know, that whole concept of, it's tricky because when people talk about new diagnosis and or newly, newly finding out about a new health thing, I think it's so important to not compare ourselves to other people because every person has their own timeline and journey and, and ebb and flow of emotion and adventure and introspection and you and your unique journey are so important and needed in the world. So however you do it is right in my opinion, like you need to do it your own way. And I do recommend having communities of support, whether it's through an awesome therapist or, um, you know, even using the social media online communities of people living with health challenges or buddies who also have stuff going on with their bodies. It's so important that you also have that support so that you're not doing it alone. You know, one of the things that drives me the craziest is like, well, haven't you deleted Facebook yet? Don't you know what they did? Yes, I know what they did. (laughs) Do I agree with it? Not even a little bit. But like the brunt of of social change is harder on those who are chronically ill. Like I can't physically get to a support group. My support group is on Facebook. So while I morally and deeply against Facebook, I can't let it go. Just like I can't let Amazon go because I can't go shopping most of the time. So it's like, that's actually how I get my braces, how I get like all of the physical stuff that I need for like, physical therapy at home is through Amazon because I have to rely on someone else to drive me now. And it just, it gets so much stickier when you're like sick where you're like, God, I'd love to boycott this company. I'm a big fan of boycotting and speaking with your wallet. Um, but it it would really leave me very, very socially islanded. Like, (laughs) yeah. So, and it's tricky too, because social media can have like, uh, you know, what is it called when you kind of get sucked into the the zone when you're just like social media brain like that can be a little much sometimes people need to do a break or or regulate their use but then there are some people that I've talked to who I'm like you really probably would benefit from creating an Instagram account because there's a huge chronic illness community there and people write these little essays with their photos they do stories you can private message each other and so it's 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 pretty awesome to see people connecting with each other through their stories, you know, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, because you, you can literally lie in bed and find somebody with your exact condition. Which is and that's amazing. amazing. I mean, when I got sick as a teenager and as a kid, there was no, we, we just like when I was a teenager, there was just dial up modems. Like there's just the AOL groups. Like it yeah. just started. And the AOL groups actually was really helpful for um, for PTSD. They actually had some really good PTSD groups where I had like actual access to to a support group for PTSD at sixteen. That was amazing. Um, but 
you're right. Like social media is a tool and any tool is a weapon if you hold it right. Thank you, Annie DeFranco. Um, so <laughs> if you if you use social media in ways that it could be amazing, you know, like TV could be the best educational tool we have. It can also be incredibly damaging. Like it's really how it's used. It's just a tool. There's no, no moral judgment on a tool. It's just there and it's who's wielding it that, that you can kind of go, Hey, maybe we don't do that. But yeah, it's a, it's a nebulous little thing. And if you can do the labyrinth right on social media, that works out well, but you kind of have to remember that anything you're seeing on social media, like you're like, oh, this person has my disorder and they're just killing it. They're still going to work. And how could I not be doing all these things with my life? You know, the real important thing to remember is social media is curated (laughs) and people tend to just put the best, prettiest little part of their life out and you're not seeing the background. You're not seeing the feet under the water, like going furiously. You're not seeing the 2 a.m. breakdowns. Like, it's really important to remember, like, what you're seeing on social media is a facet of reality. Mm-hmm. But That's it can so be great, like, to have the social groups. And, like, I know that with the podcasts, those have been tremendously helpful for me. Yes. And and actually, back to that podcast question and inspiration, I just realized something. Can I do a plug for a thing that I'm doing? Oh, my God, yes. Plug away. <laughs> I just realized, I'm like, this is so relevant. Why didn't I bring this up sooner? (laughs) So, I mean, I think the world needs more people with health challenges being themselves in public. And so, um, and also I believe that health challenges can be, like you said, a fast forward button on creating meaning and fulfillment in our lives because we actually pay attention to what matters more. So I started a uh, mastermind called the Shine Your Light Mastermind for people with health challenges who are now realizing some inspiration in their lives where they want to start writing or they want to do stand-up comedy or they want to um, you know, create a blog or create a podcast or, I mean, it really could be a million things to filmmaking. Um, and so this is a mastermind for people with health challenges specifically. And it's a video mastermind and it's once a week uh, for an hour for six weeks. And, um, so basically what we do is talk about what are some of the challenges that come up that get in the way of you doing your dream of making your podcast happen or of making that book happen and getting support from other people who are in the same boat and cheering each other on and um, like brainstorming, getting ideas for how to expand the dream. And, and um, I'm really excited about it because it's, I think we need more people being their rich, beautiful selves and sharing. In a lot of cases, um, people are sharing stories about what their processes have been. So then we get more models in our society of how to live with health challenges, which is pretty awesome. You know, it's, it's so true. It's like, and it's super relevant. I love that idea. Um, but like we were talking about in the media, like we need more disabled characters. We need more characters that are dealing with health challenges. I felt like parenthood did such an amazing job with um, breast cancer and talking about all the different facets of breast cancer that aren't in the traditional breast cancer story. But yeah. a lot of friends have breast cancer. Um, I miss many of them. And uh, the things that they were talking about, about like the issue of sex after chemo, like the trying to find your body again, trying to feel like you're inside your body again, like all of these things that are generally like left out of a lot of the narratives that are 
more popularly on TV. I thought they did such a good job with that, but I want to see some moms who are in wheelchairs. I want to see some moms who are dealing with like chronic pain. I want to see like, yeah, you know, or dads dealing with chronic pain or like just, you know, any character dealing with any sort of disability in a realistic way where they're not striving to walk again. Like this, I know they've had a whole bunch of movies with like the disabled character who suddenly frees himself with death or with walking. And I'm getting a little tired of the narrative. There are definitely people out there who that's what they're going for and cheers Mazeltov. Some of us, we just want to see ourselves reflected in the everyday. And, yeah. um, you know, the reality for a lot of us, especially me, is that chair is going to be more and more my life. And I need to feel okay with that. And part of me feeling okay with that is seeing other people. Like, I broke down crying because Triscuits or Wheat Thins or some, one of the crackers had a little advertisement that was no more than, like, what, 30 seconds, 45 seconds? And the mom's in a wheelchair, and she's making lunch for her daughter. And she's, like, throwing stuff in the microwave and, like, handing it off. And she's just living her life in her chair. I started crying. I hadn't seen anything like that, like, out there. I was like, this is amazing. Just, like, um, watching, like, Netflix lately, you have all these new um, movies and TV shows coming out from female directors, from, you know, all sorts of different voices that we haven't gotten to see in here before. I'm just thinking of Russian Doll right now um, because <laughs> I just watched the entire season in one day. As we were talking about, like, I am still fabulous at home watching Netflix. I'm like, that's my day yesterday. I was uh, totally fabulous watching the entire Russian Doll series. <laughs> but it's important for us to have different narratives and the visibility is important. So as you're encouraging more people to step into more spheres where they can influence the world, that's, that's so much more inspiration. Like I was just talking to someone yesterday who's studying to become an architect and she has ME and fibromyalgia very severely. And I'm like, oh my gosh, please continue with your journey because as an architect, you're designing spaces. And if you're designing spaces with, in mind, your experience and your family's experience of what is actually ADA compliant, because let's be honest, ADA compliant is a joke as far as, it's nice, it's a little helpful, but it has no mm -hmm. real bite behind it. And 30% um, grade is more X games than fun if you don't have a power wheelchair. So <laughs> it makes it, wow. yeah. If you're like looking around and you're like, there's not a lot of disabled people. This doesn't really affect many people. It's because we are at home, we're too afraid to go out because 30 degrees is actually, <laughs> and then when you hit mm. that little lip on the sidewalk, you go flying out of your chair. So. There are reasons you don't see a lot of disabled people out in the world. We're frightened. <laughs> so Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, thank you for saying that. Cause I did not know that what you just shared about the regulation no, it's being a, interesting. a little unrealistic. Yeah. It, well, like when they're like, you have to have ramps. And it's like, we have ramps. We are awesome. We have ramps. We are wheelchair accessible. And if you don't have a power wheelchair, like most people cannot afford a power wheelchair and you just have a regular wheelchair, you are wheeling up 30 degrees. I challenge mm. anyone who has a restaurant or shop where they have a 30 degree ramp going up and they don't have a button you can hit. Please tell me how that goes where you wheel up there, you break with one hand, you pull open with another hand and you force your body through with your entire body weight plus chair weight into the door. Let me know how wheelchair accessible you feel after that. It's, um, you know, then you have the issue of, like, travel, like, just getting out of your house and using public transportation. Anything on the floors on your wheels. Think about that the next time you are walking through a BART station, a BART elevator, 
or your metro or your subway system, look at the ground and think, do I want to put my hands there? You know, yeah, it's just it's a lot yeah. of stuff that just doesn't click unless you're actually in a wheelchair where you're like, oh, so that's why yeah. it's so important for people who have this, you know, it's just like when we're watching like the Super Bowl ads and we're like, you know what? If you had one person from basic levels of demographic, you would have avoided a huge Twitter storm. Like it would have just taken one person on your team who is not the expected person on a board to look at that and go, mm. Mm -mm, mm -mm. <laughs> problems <laughs> danger will robinson danger <laughs> like it's it wouldn't take a lot so when you have more people more decision making spheres you're gonna have a better a better world a better product a better everything so i love mm. that you're encouraging that it's a long way around too <laughs> yeah no are, i mean and that's part of it something is something like that having more involvement and um empowerment to engage at the level that feels right for you. And I, I want to also say there's no pressure from, I don't think either of us to do more than we want to do in the world. Like it's not your responsibility solely to teach everybody, uh, you know, and to represent an entire community. But when you have the spoons and you have the desire or the inspiration, I want to, you to do what your dreams are calling you to do. And I think the world needs you. So, yeah. and also, on that note, I do need to head out to my my next thing. Oh, but I will miss you. I'm so glad that we got to chat a little bit, and I feel like this is just the tip of the iceberg. So I hope we so. Can we need more, more. panels. Um, I I love talking to you. It's so funny that we are like so close to each other, and we still do this on Skype. I am yeah, highly entertained yeah. by that. Well, one day we will do it in person, and it'll be so so fun. Absolutely. But, uh, so thanks Before so much. I go, if people want to check out the podcast, they can go to thisisnotwhatiordered.com and all the good stuff is there. Yeah, please head on over to thisisnotwhatiordered.com. She is one of my favorite, favorite podcasters and this new uh, mastermind sounds amazing. So if that is uh, something please, you want to check out, please go look at that. Um, show notes are always a good place to go. Uh, InvisibleNetbroken.com has all the show notes and links on it. And um, again, if you are one of the people who commented on the podcast that my voice is too shrill or fast or giving you a migraine, this is not what I ordered. Awesome podcast. She covers amazing things and her voice is like butter. You've heard it. It's amazing. <laughs> if I am annoying, please head on over. She is wonderful. Um, thank you so much. Please continue to share the podcast and um, say something nice about... This is not what I ordered in Visible Not Broken on Apple Podcasts. Until next week, be kind, be gentle, and be a badass.